Joining us now on the flagship podcast, it is our great privilege. And look, he's got uh, he's got fans right there at the house cheering for him. Uh, the, <laughs> the one and only 14-time uh, national championship uh, men's swimming coach. Of course, diving handled by uh, Matt Scoggin. But the one and only Eddie Reese. I mean, Olympic gold. He's he's done it all, folks. And uh, and in times like this, when we're in a uh, time of uncertainty, we we come to Eddie Reese for to be the voice of reason. No pressure, Eddie. How are you doing? I'm pretty good. I mean, pretty good. I, when I get a text from somebody and they ask me how I'm doing, I just write down a and then about 10 H's with an exclamation point. <laughs> and that's just, ah. yeah, it's, um, you know, we're all so good at structure and you take that away. But personally, I've used this time, try to catch up on any of the research that they're doing it might help swimming, and uh, sad to say, I'm in better shape than I used to be. Well, um, and here's the, I mean, there's a lot of things, obviously, we want to talk to you about here on the flagship podcast. First and foremost, um, you're okay, your family's okay, uh, immediate family, that kind of thing? Sure. Okay. Um, and what did you, your team was number one and, um, looked like the favorite to win the national championship again, and you're never going to get that back, even though, you know, I mean, what, what do you tell your incredibly talented swimmers who many of whom are also training for the Olympics and now the Olympics are pushed back a year. What, what do you tell them, Eddie, in a time like this? Well, one, this is totally unforeseen. Um, maybe one person in our society in the last five years talked about something like this. But one of the best things and worst things we've got going for us in this country is it won't happen to me. And uh, it, uh, it did happen to us like it had never happened before. We just told them this is totally unforeseen. We had the best preparation any team I've ever been associated with has had. And we knew we were gonna be good and we're really, really looking forward to it. And and what what you do, you just well now nobody we can't send them workouts, we can't do workouts virtually or any other way. So they're on their own and Every once in a while, I hear a rumor they're they're doing a real good job of just a certain level of fitness. 
and I mean, we're there's no handbook for this, obviously. Um, with the with the Big Twelve um, ruling on Sunday about video conferencing and that kind of thing, you're not allowed to to what what are you allowed to do with your student athletes right now? Um, I think to play it safe, you just pull for them silently. They just, they don't want anything done. Um, they don't want to get into, to a, almost like a cold war where we hear that somebody in California is doing this and then we've got to come in and ask ask why can't we do it so they're they're making rules that don't feel good but in the long run we'll be better off for them you won your 41st conference championship um this this season and what does that mean to you? I mean, it's astounding what you've done and the level of excellence that you've maintained um, in your sport. You don't like it when I call you the GOAT. I know Chris Del Conte calls you Yoda. You don't like that either because you're uh, an incredibly humble person. But 41 straight conference championships. What does that mean to you? Well, it means a bunch of people have worked real hard. And the key to success on any team is the athletes and coaching staff to trust each other. No matter how bad it sounds to them in the form of a workout, they need to trust that they'll get better or they'll get through it. And the hard part for swimming is to finally realize that the most important part of our season is September, October, and November. That's what prepares us best for March. We're not like football and basketball or teams that have to be ready every weekend. I honestly would have no idea how to do that. So uh, what it means to me, one, I look at it pretty simply. I'm going to do the best job I can do. And winning is important, but individual improvement is more important. I want I want this to be the place where swimmers think if I go to Texas, I know I'm gonna get better. And if you know that is gonna happen, there's a much better chance that it will happen. You know, the the resume is unbelievable. I mean, 14 national team titles, 12, 12 runner-up finishes. I mean, you're, you're like, uh, you know, Jack Nicholas. Jack Nicholas 
has the record with uh, for majors with 18 and has almost as many runner-up finishes um, and 33 top three finishes. 29 Olympians have won 39 gold medals. And I've been meaning to ask you about this because you coached Joseph Schooling, um, who was swimming for Singapore in the 2016 Olympics in Rio, and he beat Michael Phelps in the 100 butterfly, which is an event that Phelps has absolutely dominated. And, And you've coached Phelps. As the coach of the U.S. Olympic team, you were not the U.S. Olympic team in six. You were not the coach of the U.S. Olympic team in 16. Um, but just talk about that dynamic, because Joseph Schooling was a, a student athlete for you at Texas. And and there you were, um, you know. Helping him um, to win the gold medal against a guy that you've also coached. Well, Joseph had a goal of beating Michael Phelps. Of course, if you're going to get an Olympic medal, pretty much the last three Olympics, you had to go through Michael Phelps, <laughs> especially if you wanted a gold medal. And he just came in, and uh, once again, I worry more about getting him to go faster. See, Joseph went 50.3 in that 100 fly to win it, all right? And I knew that if he went under 50.5, he had a real good chance to win. And it doesn't matter who you are. If you do the time, you beat a lot of people that, you haven't beaten before. So I look at it as trying to, it's an individual sport that's scored as a team sport and you get better with the team behind you. So we use everything we can to get them to go faster. We have a goal meeting at the beginning of the year and there are three goals academics, swimming, and weight room. And the main part of that goal meeting is me convincing them that I want them to help me make them better. That's the name of the game. This is uh, swimming has gotten so fast. You can't take much time off. You almost can't get sick. You've got to keep finding a way. And it's beyond coaching. It's it's a coach-swimmer trust situation. And, you know, it's not how well you do on the days you feel good. What do you do when things go wrong? You have an argument with somebody or you make a bad grade. What do you do on those days? Do you still make it productive where you can? Yeah. 
I mean, it's, um, I've known you for 28 years of, uh, of your 41 at Texas. And it's, it's amazing to me and talking to all your incredible athletes, the Aaron Pearsalls, the Brendan Hansons, the Ian Crockers of the world, all Olympic gold medalists, uh, who swam for you at Texas. They all talk about how you have this gift to keep things very simple and focused. You don't clutter them. You are able with all the different personalities you've had to coach, you're able to do that time and time again. Where does that come from, Eddie? Well, I would like to say it's something I learned, but a lot of that came naturally real early in my career. I had a swimming coach, the University of Florida, that it seemed like all he was there to do was to help us. Didn't matter if it was talking us through girlfriends or uh, helping us academically or getting a job or whatever. And I go to a number of banquets where awards are being passed out sit with people I don't know, other coaches, young coaches, they always want to know what is the most important thing. And in being able to make international trips, have people go to the Olympics. And I think the important thing at any age, is you got to forget yourself. You got to take yourself out of the equation. It, like you can see it on bas on the basketball court. Some coaches, when somebody makes a mistake, uh, they applaud for them and or just clap and say, "All right, let's get it right next time." Or you yell at them. And if my swimmers have a bad race, it's probably my fault, not theirs. So I have no right to yell at them or get upset with them. You know, you say something simple. That's not like you will get it right next time. There are a lot of little things that are not, don't attack their image, which is already down. Swimming is what I call a naked evaluation. <laughs> They're out there in a real small suit. <laughs> They're in a lane all by themselves. If they choke or um, have a bad race strategy, 80% of the people know it. Yeah. Not many people, like I can go to a football game and not see a mistake. But swimming's just that kind of thing, and you must take yourself out of it. You, um, your recruiting has gotten better, and and so 
you still love it. Where where does the where does the love and and the energy come from? And you know, people are looking at you 41 years into this, and now just now you're getting the outdoor pool that apparently Daryl Royal promised you in 1978 when you got here. So where does the energy and the drive and the, you know, the want to for you getting up every morning, keep coming. Well, from? first of all, not having the pool has not hurt us. No, no, it hasn't, <laughs> but, but it will help. Um, I don't know if I've been blessed or cursed with the gene of finding a way to get better. And I catch myself in everything I do. Like I've got a friend that wants me to come fishing. He lives on a little arm of the lake and it's kind of a creek and it goes up gets real shallow, sandy bottom, and he's got brush all under his dock, and he's got a lot of fish, and he's got green lights that go all the time, which attract bait fish, and he has a brush for cover, I said. So I was talking to him yesterday. I said, well, I've got a cast net. I said, we need to go up into that sandy bottom area and throw the cat's net, catch a bunch of minnows and bring them back to your dock and let them loose. And with all the cover, they'll stay there. And he said, well, come on out. We'll do it. <laughs> but I, my mind just works that way. And it sometimes it seems like a curse, but I'm just as ready to Go now as I've ever been. Well, one of my favorites, and I think I ask you about this every single time and you roll your eyes, but um, the the pantyhose, it, was that something you came up with or was that something that you learned from someone else? You mean to train with it? Right. Um, no, a lot of people did that before I did. Most of the things we know, we either got from each other or learned from the swimmers. And it, it's a, it's something that does not end. I was just, I was just reading, you know what muscle memory is. Yep. All right. Well, the last four or five years, the research is showing that it's not muscle memory, it's brainwave patterns. So I've been doing some research on that the last two weeks, and they've convinced me. And what that means is you must find a way to repeat at race pace, whether it's running or swimming, more often, because when you want your brain wave, when you want your brain to control your muscles, 
You want your technique to be as good as it can be. And the rate or speed must be similar to a race. Actually, we've started doing that the last three years. This year, we had 24 guys make NCAA standards. They could have gone to the meet. Now, we could only take 16. But nobody's ever had more than that. We had 20 last year. And we do that type of workout probably three times a week. And it's a killer. But they like it and they, they do it. When... What, because um, it was an, an Olympic year, and I don't, I'm kind of wondering out loud. I think a lot of swimmers want to come and swim for you because um, you make everyone go faster. They would never take a gap year from away from you in an Olympic year because that's probably the best training they could get is working with you in preparation for the Olympics. But how does the postponement of this summer's Olympics change anything, if any, for your swimmers? Your top well, swimmers who are going to have a chance to be on that U.S. Most, team. Most of the feedback that I'm getting for them is they think that waiting another year they will just be better because that's that's my goal every year my motto is i'm a i'm going to find a way to get you to go faster even if it kills you <laughs> i love that part of it <laughs> your motto i'm going to find a way to help you go yeah. faster even if it kills you yeah I love it. Okay. Now I need you to, I I love this story so much because, um, the humble beginnings. Okay. You're take me through it again. Your wife got a job in New Mexico. Well, I was in graduate school and there was a job open in Roswell, New Mexico. They wanted a swim coach for the club team there for the high school. And I applied for the job and did not get it. And honestly, they were probably right. And they found out about Eleanor, hired her, and made a job for me. I taught physical education in the elementary schools, I taught two different schools, uh, one three days a week, one two days a week, then they switched it second semester. And kids that age, if I had to get a real job, that's what I'd do. Those kids were 
so eager to do anything. After about four weeks, I was coming in to school an hour early because so many of them wanted to play soccer. They wanted to uh, do track items and just play, um, just run. And so we started playing a game where if I said drop, they all had to drop and do 10 push-ups. <laughs> and we did that every day of the week that I was at those schools. And I tested them at the end of the year. I had six fifth and sixth grade boys do 200 push-ups in a row. Wow. I mean, those kids would do anything. We we did movement drills, and let me tell you, that's exactly what they need to be doing now. Learn to run forward, run backwards, go left, right. Um, it almost seems like if you're going to be a good basketball player and a fairly tall guy, you better play soccer when you're younger because that's a stop and go and change direction sport. Yeah. Wow. Okay, so then take us from your elementary school teaching to how you get into college coaching. Well, about two-thirds of the way through the school year, I got a letter from my swimming coach, who was still the swimming coach at Florida. And he said, there's a job open, apply for the job. And in physical education, because that's how they hired you. And I knew I had already done that trick. I'd, I'd applied for the job. And I'd been in for the interview, and they, they were going to hire somebody else. But in the, And it wasn't a swimming person. So I ended up, I just wrote back, said, thanks, I'm having fun. Um, I talked to them. I don't believe there's a chance. And this, this was my swimming coach that did everything for us. Name was Bill Harlan. He was a diver, but he loved us and took care of us. Anyway, he wrote a letter back and said, apply, you idiot. <laughs> so I knew that meant that the political side had been done. So I got the job and I was assistant. I worked, I taught physical education to college students 12 hours a week. I got credit for four hours teaching, being an assistant coach. And they, they paid nothing back then. And that wasn't a big deal. Um, they just gave us time they gave us relief from our class load. But I taught volleyball, tennis, 
handball. Um, did some physiology lectures. Um, just, I had a ball. It was, I even taught date casting. <laughs> hey, in Florida, there was one thing you had to do if you're going to graduate from the University of Florida. You had to pass a swimming test. And you should have had to pass a bait casting test. Because <laughs> fishing's so good there. <laughs> so if you graduated from the University of Florida, you had to pass a swimming test? You bet. Is that still the case? Do we know? I don't know that, but... How about that? I know. Well... Makes sense. Oh, sadly. I mean, coastal. Yeah. So your big break in terms of head coaching, you're an assistant in Florida, Florida, Florida. And your big break in head coaching came because of and I was I was going to sleep. It was about 10 o'clock one night, probably in maybe April, got a call from Auburn. They said, we're looking for a swimming coach. We'd like to know if it's all right to put you on our list. And I didn't know any better. I said, sure. Well, little did I know I was the only one on the list. <laughs> And so they flew me up and I took the job, even though the Florida team that was going to, the freshman class, we had recruited and had coming back. And I didn't know this until at a reunion 10 years ago, somebody said, hey, if you'd have stayed, we'd have won. And he was exactly right. We had the most phenomenal freshman class that's ever been recruited. Uh, just like the best swimmer, the best 50 and 100 man, best 100 flyer, 100 backstroker, the best breaststroker, the best smiler, I mean, the best butterflyer. I mean, just. You had it all covered. That, you know, we're back in an era where. Florida had that recognition, had a real good name, real good name for swimming. And if you were good and you were in the Southeast, we wanted you, we could get you. Yeah. So, but I went to Auburn and I took over a team that had never had an individual score in the top 16 at conference. The only points they have ever scored, they got eight in three relays out of eight teams, wow. which gave them 30 points. So I was going to look good no matter what. <laughs> and the rest is history. But how, I mean, how quickly were you able to get it going at Auburn? Um, 
let me see. We got about about our my third year. We broke. I think maybe fourth year, top twenty. Then the next fifth year we were fifteenth or so. Then the next year we ended up eighth, and our goal was twelfth. Um, at that time, I quit making goals. <laughs> For it, we never we never talk about winning. We just talk about how can you get better? What can you do outside the pool that's going to help me get you to be as fast as you want to be? And if I want them to do something, I explain why we're going to do it and the expected result. And I pay attention to all the science that goes into it and try to give it to them uh, more than anecdotal. Well, in 1978, you're, you're talking to Daryl Royal. And how did that go down? And what was that interview like? Or you tell us. Oh, one, I, you said earlier that the pool that Daryl promised me I don't think Daryl ever broke a promise. So I would say that we didn't talk about the pool back then because <laughs> they had just built this pool. The one they've got now that is the marquee pool in the country, even though it's older than you are. But anyway, Daryl picked me up at the airport on a Sunday afternoon and I just got in the car and I said, this must be fairly important for you guys. So why do you say that? I said, read all your articles about you and Frank Broyles and you would a lot, re lot rather be playing golf. <laughs> he just laughed and said, that's true. <laughs> he was just, he was just a great, great person it was a real pleasure to go around with him and he treated everybody I don't like to use the right way but it was correctly or anything he just did a good job with people it didn't matter if it was uh, somebody waiting tables at Cisco's. By the way, he introduced me to Cisco's. And uh, I've been forever thankful for that. <laughs> and he, uh, I mean, he's a lot like you. He keeps it simple. He kind of gets to the point and so you all obviously hit it off and and so the pool the outdoor pool 
I mean, in swimming, the, the top swim programs have an outdoor pool. All the top schools in Southern California and Florida. For, for sure. Because the swimmers like to swim outside when it's nice. Actually, some of them like to swim outside when it rains. So. <laughs> Talk about the importance of that and the fact that you've been able to win 14 national championships without it. Um, it, it adds versatility to the program when you can take, uh, swimmers going short course in a 25 yard pool and do an hour of something there and then move them outdoors to do an hour long course. Uh, I'm a variety person. I like to change things up. And this gives me a greater resource to go to this, do my variety of training. And uh, I think it'll do. Uh, and the guys love it because long course to them is Olympic trials. So, and Olympics. Olympics are long course. It's way more important for them than they talk about. How excited are you for this? I mean, we're, we're talking May, right? End of May? That's what I hear, and they've been working through all of this other stuff. So, what kind of celebration? I mean, do you bring everyone back? What uh, you're a guy who thinks ahead and and sees things. What um, what's the plan? Well, we're we're on hold right now. Well, yeah. We've had uh, whatever dates we've had, we've had to cancel. Yeah. And um, just have no idea what we're going through and uh, the depth of this thing and how long it's going to take for us to get through it. We, we've got we've got deadlines set like we can't do anything till May 30th and but you know if we get a good hold on this virus you know maybe that's moved up some but I doubt it right now the big scramble for colleges is to try to keep the NCAA would love, love to keep us all on an equal fitting. That's why they, um, the guidelines are coming out saying no practice. Don't take any chances with the virus. And even if like some schools 
went to testing their coaching staff and their athletes. And, and some were training longer and more than us, you know, and that just happened to be where they were. And it was something that worked for them. But I think pretty much they've got a handle on that stuff now. Have you done everything you want to do in your, you know, you said you don't make goals anymore. Well, we set individual goals for them. I'm just in a, a rut and I hope it, it's an upward rut. I'm just trying to find a way to get better. Uh, I was just talking to one of my ex swimmers Neil Kasky, who is a assistant coach at Stanford now. And we were talking about the season and what we're going to do and how we're going to make it better. And pretty soon, 45 minutes later, we'd finished. But we had covered uh, plans, theories, um, all those things that I think a lot of people have forgotten. Uh, sometimes we get one or two guys that are going real good. And we think the workouts that made those guys real good. Where if the rest of the guys aren't doing that, and usually it means the genetics made those guys good and the workouts in my case aren't hard enough for the rest of the team to get them to be better and I don't want to ever find that out I want to always I try every year find a way to make the program harder well it's been uh, it's been amazing. I, I do want to ask you this, Eddie, before um, we before we sign off. You've been a part of the Olympics for um, multiple decades, and do you love the Olympics? Is it a big stress ball for you? What what are the what are coaching the Olympics like? Very simply. I'll give you an example. In the 2000 Olympics in Sydney, I was in the village running two workouts a day. My wife was staying outside the village. She couldn't stay in it. She was staying in a hotel downtown, a block from the AT&T hotel where all staff relatives or athlete relatives could get what they wanted to drink for free, eat for free, and get free tickets. She went to the Crocodile Hunters Zoo. She walked across the top of the Sydney Arbor Bridge. I told her one time I wanted to go with her so I could have some fun. But it's always fun being with athletes that are that focused on 
what they've got to do. Everybody wants to talk about focus, and I tell people, yeah, my athletes can focus till about supper tonight. But when you get in the village and those guys, they're, they're there for one purpose, knowing that probably going to be their only time there. A lifetime dream. They, and now there's a significant amount of money involved. If you want a gold medal, you can win eighty to a hundred thousand dollars just from, let's say, a hundred from USA Swimming, USOC, and FINA, the international swimming body. And I think uh, silver is seventy, and bronze is forty. Now, if you add up all the hours and divide that out, it isn't very much, but it's it's good to be in that ball game and our swimmers if you're from the US you're in an event you got a shot to medal and that's except for the few that gold medals their only answer um the rest of them want a medal and that's really important Well, it's uh, I always wondered. I, I really was fascinated with that Joseph schooling situation because obviously that was our last uh, Olympics and um, it was such a big win, such a big win for Joseph schooling. And um, and knowing that you've always said my goal is, you know, to help them go faster. And I I feel a sense of obligation that's your own personal thing, but then to have it pay off in that way, uh, it's just, uh, it was amazing. I just remember feeling so, so happy for you. And, you know, you're a pretty low key guy. Uh, you know, everyone goes in the pool when you win the national championship. What's a celebration like for, for Eddie Reese when, when it's, you know, not being thrown in the pool? When sometimes we've, we've got the meet one by the middle of the meet. When that happens, I'm already thinking about next year. <laughs> so, you know, that let me enjoy it. I don't believe that is for any of us. <laughs> oh, um, and how's, uh, How's life with Chris Del Conte as the athletic director? He is amazing. He does people right. He thinks outside the box. And I know that's a, becoming a common phrase now. And everybody thinks they can think outside the box. But to do it effectively... I think it's like one in a hundred thousand people can do it, maybe less. He's one of those guys that can do that. He has just uh, revitalized Texas and 
the whole school, not just athletics. But um, he's he is he's special. I I say if we were to list the top ten ads, he'd be in the first five places. And there may not be anybody else till the tenth place. He is just way ahead of everything. Yeah, it's amazing to think of eight hundred million and facility upgrades all happening at once. That's yep. Uh, and during this time, we're very we're very lucky that. Um, we can still see the end of those things. You you have you know that when when he wants it done like that, we're gonna get it done. So I've never worried about the pool once they started <laughs> on it. Well. It's like my wife was talking about what a good customer I was when we were building our house. I said, yeah, if I remember correctly, I came out to see it one time. <laughs> I'm, I, I'm only good at a few things and that's not one of them. <laughs> okay. We got to do a little rapid fire before we let you go. What's your favorite sports movie? Oh my goodness. Oh. I haven't been out of the house in so long. <laughs> well, when you were a kid or any any movies that Oh my goodness. I can remember back in the old days when you used to be able to be dropped off at the movie and walk home two miles <laughs> through the park down by the river in Daytona Beach. I remember being crazy legs. You remember Elroy Hirsch? Oh, yeah. At that time, that's the one that comes to mind. Favorite movie in general? Oh, I don't have one. I just, I like, um, I'm, I'm more in tune with happy movies. <laughs> yeah. Happy like comedies? Oh, yeah, I like those. Yeah. Do you have any favorite quotes? You know, just the ones I make. Yeah. Oh, I don't know. What's the one that your swimmers hear in their sleep from Eddie Reese? Oh, sometime in your life, you're going to have to do things you don't want to do. And you'll be better for it. <laughs> like I, once again, keep it simple. Yep. Simple. I love it. And favorite music? Oh, country music. Mm -hmm. And what's your most prized possession? I've got. Two labs, which you heard talking. <laughs> and they are, 
I'm going to send you some videos of what we do in the pool. In fact, we're getting ready to do that when we finish here. I love it. So your lab swim. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> yeah. I've got the female. If she could live in the water, she would. Wow. What's her name? Pearl. Pearl. And are they both girls or? No, there's a brother and a sister. And red is a yellow lab, but on the reddish side, Pearl is a black lab. Same litter. And red weighs about 80 and Pearl weighs about 60. And Pearl is the boss. <laughs> She's made, she was the run of the litter. And she still fights for everything. And you and Eleanor have been married how long? I don't remember. And what's the key to marriage? I was kidding. I love it. Uh, we are in August. It'll be 56 years. God bless you. I made it 11. Good for you. What's the key? Everybody says marriage is give and take. It's give and give. <laughs> Both ways. Yeah. And you don't keep and you don't keep score. Don't keep score. Yep. I like and that. And remember this. Here's a quote. The only source of unconditional love. Of course, that was in your wedding ceremony. Those words. Mm -hmm. The only source is from grandparents and dogs. <laughs> oh, I love it. Eddie. You are the best, my friend.